All right, well, welcome into the Chris Collinsworth podcast. I am still in Cincinnati, Ohio at PFF World Headquarters and out living a good life uh, would be one Eric Eager and Mike Renner who are already in Los Angeles and uh, getting ready for the Super Bowl. How's it going, guys? I hear the weather's fantastic. Oh, it is. Can't much, huh? It really is. It's, uh, I mean, coming from when I came back last week from the Senior Bowl, to like streets just covered in snow, undrivable to this is, it's very nice, I will say. Yeah, it took me like 30 minutes to scrape all the ice off my windshield just to take my daughter to basketball uh, on Saturday. So this is a far cry from that. Uh, it's an interesting game as well. Uh, one we're gonna get to talk about uh, over and over and over again for the next four or five days. Yes. Well, you know what? What would you rather do anyway if uh, home right. is in Cincinnati? And it, it really has been just a remarkable story. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, but when you think about what they've done, and, and to some extent I've been reading some articles and it almost sounds like a coronation in some way that the Rams are playing at home and they've got Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. and Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And, you know, it's like, no, we can't wait for the party after the game. And, you know, this is, is going to be great. But you yeah. about this Bengals team, two wins in Pittsburgh, or not in Pittsburgh, two wins against Pittsburgh, two against Baltimore, two against Kansas City, go on the road against the number one seed uh, in Tennessee, knock them off, go on the road, and knock off the Chiefs with another trip to the Super Bowl on the line. Like, that's a pretty good resume. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, it, it's crazy to think just two years ago they were a 2-14 and 14 team with, like, almost no hope, right? I think, like, that's the thing that you can feel in the city of Cincinnati now is not necessarily that this is a great team. Like, uh, you listed off a bunch of great wins, and I think that that, you know, speaks to, you know, what Joe Burrow offers. But – it's just a team now that I think for the next decade is going to have hope every single year. And I don't know if you can really put a price on that. And, and, and that's what we've seen over the last few months. They feel a lot like Michigan, honestly, to me, in terms of like expectations were low, but that's because they had set low expectations yeah. for themselves. Like they had put a lot of investment into this roster, signed a lot of free agents, drafted guys that a lot of people were high on. It just kind of never came together back in 2020. And obviously Joe Burrow as a rookie, a big part of that but they feel like everything kind of just all gelled all at once. And now they are a difficult team to beat. Well, and things things went, so yeah, they were 25 to one to win the AFC North going into the year. They're 150 to one to win the Super Bowl. If they win on Sunday, they would be the least probable since we've looked back, except for the 1999 St. Louis Rams, were a team that lost a starting quarterback in yeah. the preseason. So this is a remarkably improbable event here and when you look at sort of how they've done it too, it's like, you know, they, they, and again, like there's, there's no such thing as luck. You know, you can sort of win through these things, but they caught Tennessee, right? When Tennessee was using Derrick Henry sort of too much, right? Right off an injury. They let Buffalo and Kansas City duke it out, right? Probably the two better teams in the AFC. And then they take advantage um, 
uh, you know, of a team like Kansas City just, you know, playing one of their worst halves of football. And now you, you set up here and they catch a four seed in the Super Bowl, too. Yeah. Like, it's remarkable how this is like the this is a Cinderella ride for the Bengals. Hopefully it continues uh, into Sunday and we get a good game. Well, it almost was a four seed in Cincinnati against a six seed in San Francisco. So this was the one playoffs I think we all knew going into it that anything could happen. There was nothing that was going to come out. No pairing in the Super Bowl that was really going to surprise me at the end of the day. And instead, we get this mirror image of offenses playing against each other. I went back and looked up some of the running numbers uh, for these two teams. The Bengals' running game is 40% outside zone. The Rams' running game, this is including the playoffs, 48%. Man blocking, 19%, 23%. Inside zone, 16%, 17%. Counter, 3%. Trick plays, 3%, both of them. I mean, you go right down the list, and at least as far as running the football, these two teams are running the exact same offense. Now, in a different way with some of the things that the Rams do with Cooper Cup and their wide receivers blocking, but this is essentially the same offense. Yeah, and they're and they're not effective running the ball like that, and and it's almost by choice, right? Both teams, if you look at, um, you know, basically if you look at like expected points added or whatever, like both of these teams are gifting the other team downs when they run, right? Because both quarterbacks are so effective throwing the football, and it's almost by a style. So I don't even think um, it's necessarily the players. Joe Mixon this year is leading the NFL in yards gained on run plays that include a negative block. Right. So he's being tough and making plays, but, you know, perfectly blocked runs happen the least frequently on outside zone. It's just a hard play to execute and both teams just stick to it. I, I made a joke that the first team that runs the ball 10 times in this game is going to lose. Yeah, but the other thing, Mike, is that if the Cincinnati Bengals don't run the ball and they have to drop back and throw this thing 40 times, that's a problem too. I, I mean, let, let's go ahead. Let's get it as far in the weeds as we can here because not everybody's going to be able to do this. The right side of the Bengals offensive line has two backups. I mean, let's just tell what it is. Uh, Hakeem Adeniji is the right guard. Maybe Jackson Carmen. They rotated almost equally mm-hmm. snaps uh, in the last game. And Isaiah Prince took over for Riley Reef at right tackle. So that's going to be the point of attack for this Rams great pass rush. Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Von Miller, those guys, that's where they're going to attack. Yeah, the thing is, that's obviously the matchup everyone's going to highlight. And it's a mismatch. There's no denying that. Like Aaron Donald and Von Miller trying to be blocked by Jackson Carmen and Isaiah Prince, respectively, is about as big a mismatch as exists in the NFL. But this has also been the case now for the last month and a half. And they beat the Chiefs twice over that span. They beat the Titans. Like, they have had to work around this. And so Joe Burrow has had to adjust his game for this. So I'm not sure it's that much bigger of a mismatch than it was when it was Chris Jones trying to get blocked by Jackson Carmen. Like, he ate up those one-on-ones every single time. So I think you're going to have to come out with a plan to avoid that. But I don't think the plan is, hey, let's ride Joe Mixon, kind of like it was against early on the Chiefs when they fell behind really quickly because all that does is zero, two-yard gains, early downs, just gets you less favorable pass situations. just puts that offensive line more uh, sort of behind the eight ball 
in terms of having to because the defense then knows that they're going to be passing. So I think the sort of game plan if you're the Bengals, quick passes, early downs, get just churn yards as, as much as possible and keep Joe Burrow from getting hit on those early downs. And that's the way you sort of get out to a lead if you're the Bengals. You know, it's yeah. so interesting, Eric, is is what and I think one of the things that's been lost on everybody in this game is really the job that Raheem Morris has done with this Rams defense. Um, you know, they they were missing both safeties, so they brought out a special teams guy and Nick Scott, who has been phenomenal in these playoffs. I mean, the, he's. He's had an interception against Gronk, down a pass against Gronk. He's just, he had a huge hit against Debo Samuel that really set the tone in that last game. He's just done a phenomenal job to come off the bench and replace those guys. And then on the other side, you've got Eric Weddle, who came off the beach somewhere playing pickup basketball game. And he's been great playing down in the box. They kind of hide him a little bit in coverage by playing him in that lurk position. Uh, inside at linebacker, Ernest Jones was hurt forever, the rookie. And this Traven Howard has come in there and just keeps making huge plays. So three key backups, basically special teams kind of guys, and a guy that was in retirement have really helped carry the burden thus far for the Rams team, but now they get T. Higgins, they get Tyler Boyd, they get Jamar Chase. So can the Bengals get the ball down the field to try and take advantage of some of those guys? Yeah, I think, I think the answer is actually yes. So so the Rams, like when Raheem Morris took over, he kind of took all the Brandon Staley stuff and supercharged it, right? So the Rams this year lead the NFL in percentage of plays where they disguise coverage so they go you know too high look and then they play one high or one high look and then they they, they play too high after snap um they're they're third in stunt rate right and and there we there's an article on pff.com that i wrote a couple weeks ago as sort of if you look stunts increase the pressure percentage depending upon which down and distance like five to ten percent every down so um, they're also first in lightest boxes used on early downs. They use less than six men in the box on average on early downs, which is just like a, a modern defense that forces teams like Cincinnati to believe they have to run the ball, yeah. right? And it makes you know you more effective. Now, I think so. This is a crazy stat. So the top three quarterbacks in the NFL in PFF grade when a team doesn't disguise coverage: Tom Brady's first. Well, they knocked him off. Joe Burrow second. Kyler Murray's third. So they're going to face all three of those quarterbacks in the playoffs. The difference is Tom Brady's 10th in the NFL and PFF grade when you disguise coverage. Kyler Murray's 14th. Joe Burrow is first in the NFL when you disguise coverage in PFF grade, right? So he is actually one of those guys who, for whatever reason, processes it well. Maybe, maybe it's a little noisy. Maybe it's the teams he faces. But Joe Burrow, to me, matches up here with a defense that I think is doing everything right, pushing all the buttons to, to have effective defense. And Joe Burrow has been kind of a kryptonite for those kind of defenses this year. And I will say this about the Rams injuries. Like, the guys that are getting hurt are not the guys that are making yeah. this defense this defense. This defense runs because they have Aaron Donald and because they have Jalen Ramsey. Because I don't care what offensive line you're facing, Aaron Donald's going to make plays in the run game and get home as their pass rusher. And I don't care what passing game you're facing, you're not going to attack Jalen Ramsey consistently. So I think that's still, still having those guys is still why the Rams are here. But I will say the Bengals can at least avoid Jalen Ramsey because they got three options. They got mm -hmm. three guys they know can win one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, and, and you know, Jalen Ramsey all season long has really moved around. 
if you think you're going to get a matchup against Jamar Chase constantly in this game, you're not going to get that. You're going to get you're going to get Ramsey based on you know, is it third down? He could be in there on Tyler Boyd. Is it, you know, down where you might get a jump ball? You might be out on T. Higgins. I mean, he, he really is the rock star out there uh, on this football team. But trying to block these guys, and, and, and the Rams do an overload um, pass rush look that is really a dynamic thing. And I'm going to try to get to this as much as I can during the football game. Uh, but when they put... Aaron Donald and Von Miller and the nose tackle Greg Gaines all on one side end up with a linebacker in the middle and then an outside rusher and Leonard Floyd on the other side. What do you do? Because if you don't slide that backside guard over to that side, then you basically have just now admitted with about a five yard run at your guard that you can block Von Miller and you can block Aaron Donald with those guys coming out of a sprinter stance and no help, no help. So you either have to put it back in the backfield, slide the guard over, and if you do too much, they start blitzing Troy Reader off the backside and go get your quarterback, and you're one-on-one again with that backside right guard that we talked about for the Cincinnati Bengals. So it is a dilemma to try and pass block these guys. Well, that's why I was saying the worst thing the Bengals can do Run ball is, early is get into <laughs> obvious pass situations because then you subject yourself to unwinnable. Like you, yeah. you that that scenario right there, they line up in that. You, they don't block that. They just literally cannot. They do not have the horses to match up with that. So if you are, you know, run the ball first, second down, third and seven, you're screwed. Like that is the, the chance of converting that if you're the Bengals, third and seven plus in this game is going to be 10%. It's yeah, that's why. Zero. You'd almost have to commit to going for fourth downs in this game because yeah. if you're in third and six, you run the ball against that yeah. look, right? And then you, you say, okay, we pick up four yards. We're going to go for fourth and two. And and I think that that's why the Bengals, you know, in this underdog role that they're in, I do think that that's kind of the mentality they have to have. The problem is, is neither of these guys, Taylor or McVay, like they're both good in their own right, but this that's not where they excel. They don't excel in sort of the game theory aspect of it. But you're absolutely right, Mike. Like you can't you can't run the ball in early downs because a it's just you have not proven to be successful it would be an outlier if you were successful doing that in this game and and if you just get into say it's not the chiefs right like the chiefs only have the one guy the one horse rushing the passer like the thing that's been great about the rams is leonard floyd they rewarded him with a big deal they had a good year again like that was important for them um and obviously miller has been great since coming over from denver um and, and so like it's just so multiple you cannot like just focus on donald if you're the bengals so you need to get in reasonable down in distances so you can possibly run on third and four as long as you have the worldview of going for it on fourth and yeah. fourth down and short um as the underdog in this game well the moment we've all been waiting for since september is finally here and in honor of the big game DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of super bowl 56 is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. How about that? DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. 
And a sports book isn't uh, in your state yet. Play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at a $1 million top prize with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code PFF, then get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just 5 bucks and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, 21 years or older, see DraftKings.com sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. A gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And just a reminder, this Chris Collinsworth podcast is sponsored by my great friends at Western and Southern Financial Group. And while you focus on your roster moves for the big day, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. You sound like everybody who works at PFF. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. So team up with Western and Southern to understand your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. From now until February 14th, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription. That is any PFF subscription if you use code SUPER25. And what can you get with a PFF subscription? Well, you know all the PFF's locked article content. NFL Green Line had a great year. It's up 27 units on the season. Player Prop Tool, which shows plus-minus value for every NFL prop, and you know you need that for the big game. And the NFL Draft Guide, which is going to last you all year long. You'll love it. It is the best I have ever seen, and so much more. So support the podcast. Help us uh, pay all these great young people, and use promo code SUPER25 for 25% off any sub. Um. The other interesting part of this game is that it's entirely possible both tight ends are missing and both of the receiving tight ends, uh, Uzama for the Bengals, Tyler Higby for the Rams. And in your guys' estimation, who's the bigger loss? I think it's Higby, truthfully. I, I think that Rams offense, now I know they've factored in Odell to a degree, but I think Higby is big for them. Uh, working the middle of the field, another guy that can work the middle of the field, not just Cooper Cup. I, I think the Bengals have a ton of weapons. They kind of the way that often set up, it, it attacks outside and down the field a lot. Uh, and you have a guy who can do a lot of the same things that uh, sort of Uzama brings to the table in a Tyler Boyd. But Higby is a very good receiver for the tight end position and a good blocker as well, plus blocker. And like that actually can hold his own that I think is an add-on for them in the run game. So not having him to me is the bigger loss. Yeah, and they, their backup, that Blanton, he's played okay of late. Like, he's athletic and, and does some things that I think are, are fine. But Stafford, you want Stafford throwing into the middle of the field if you're the Rams, like, every so often, right? Like, when he gets his bad games, it's repeated throws outside the hash marks, and then eventually one of those things gets intercepted. Yeah. And, and, again, that's the, that's the recipe for a win if you are – um, you know, the Bengals is to turn over Stafford a few times and having Higby in the middle of the field is, is sort of that kind of reset for the offense that they're missing. Whereas I think Uzama is a great player too. He's more, he's, a, I think more explosive, but like, it's more of the bubble screen stuff. It's more of the cleanup yeah. stuff. Um, and, and as Mike said, I don't think he's quite as good of a blocker. 
Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really interesting when you take this across the board because really Higby is sort of the Tyler Boyd of the Rams. He's the third receiver, right? Whereas you he's kind of the fourth. And so now you take Higby out and now you really need a Van Jefferson or a Ben Skoranek or one of those guys. You know, Skoranek could play a role in this game. He really could because if you watch the last one, everybody's going to focus in on he had a chance to make a great catch for a touchdown sort of over his head. Uh, Didn't make it. But some of the blocks that he made in that game, pulling, coming across the formation, he's almost kind of like a tight end light sort of player for this offense and the way that they like to block with their wide receivers could play a big role yeah that's why scrax on the field i I mean he can't he's not the kind of guy who you're throwing on the outside saying hey get open and throwing to that's just he's not a separator but he is a big bodied physical blocker that with the rams and how they scheme the running game those guys get involved and if you throw a you know Deshaun Jackson who was on the roster earlier in the season out there to try to ask him to block crack block a linebacker it's, it's even not Odell happen. right like Odell was supposed yeah. to be the replacement for Robert Woods but and Robert Woods was the one player in their scheme of going all in who got hurt yeah like he's the 10th most valuable wide receiver in the NFL since 2017 because he does so many of these he runs the ball 20 times a year he blocks on the backside because they don't like to go two tight ends and then you know he's a great receiver but as Mike said like you can't ask some of these other receivers to do that thing. And so he's got to go in and yeah. fill. He's sort of like, like Brian Finneran was for the Falcons or like, you know, some of the, like a backside, like Michael Jenkins was this way for yeah. the Falcons too, where you sort of like, and it tips their hand a little bit. That's why Woods was so good because Woods could do everything. But, uh, you know, having him on the field is important if they want to run the ball. Again, I think both Mike and I are saying don't run the ball so much yeah. uh, for, to both of these teams. But if they want to run the ball, he's going to be important. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the significance of Odell and since he's come over. And remember, this is a pretty complex offense, so it's taken him a little while to figure it out, to know exactly what, you know, all the details are. How long did it take him to get to where they could actually run no huddle and run some pace if they wanted to? I'm not even sure he's he's all the way there yet, and maybe he is at this point. The idea that you can put an Odell Beckham Jr. at the X receiver and play three receivers on the other side and, or stack him with um, with Cooper Cup to one side, you know, it, it really has created a new dynamic. He has yet to drop a pass. He's been a huge red zone threat for this team. But I think more than anything else, he's just creating space for Cooper Cup, uh, who just continues to amaze with what he's done this season. You know, we talk about him winning the Triple Crown. I would argue he won the quadruple crown with the way that guy blocks for this team inside. Yeah, that, the thing is, Cooper Cup, you know. Like, every every defense in the NFL knows you're going to have to do something for him. And you can put all the eyes on him you want when that's the only guy. Kind of like we saw with the 49ers and Devontae Adams. You can change your whole defense to deal with one guy. But once you add that second guy in, and if Odell is going to get one-on-ones consistently – you can't leave that either. Like you, you can't completely bring your defense to its knees structurally to deal with one guy when there's another guy who is going to consistently beat man coverage. And if he wasn't on the football field, like not signing him, it would have been Ben Scarrot. You know, it, it would have been Van Jefferson, who is not quite. I mean, he's had flashes, but not nowhere near what Odell is. And Odell's not prime Odell by any means. He has take definitely lost a step, but that guy could still get open one on one, which is again like then 
maybe it doesn't show up in terms of raw numbers, but the way defenses have to play Cooper Cup immediately changes with him on the field. Yeah, we did this research a year ago and, and looking at sort of like the fragility of, of, of teams, right? Yeah. And, and what we found with receivers is like the secondary and tertiary targets for a team matter more in terms of who wins than the first guy. And that difference exacerbates itself in the playoffs. And I know Mike's a Packers fan. I think he feels this in his in his in his oh, you know, I know. heart. Oh, I know. Um, but like you look at you you look at like Buffalo, you know, almost beating Kansas City. Who was it? It was Gabe Davis, Gabe Davis. right? Like, um, you know, when you looked at the Packers, they just had a hard time incorporating secondary guys. Kansas City isn't the same offense without Sammy Watkins, right? Like, uh, and and you look at. You know, Odell, that's kind of where he's added a lot. And I also think he's also a good style for the Rams because Stafford has been, and we, we talked to it was Bruce Gradkowski who sort of talked about this, where when you have a wide receiver who's more of a freelancer at the top of the route, you need a quarterback who's not as rigid, right? And, and Stafford being a guy who's been able to get career years out of Golden Tate and out of Calvin Johnson and guys like that, like maybe he's just a little bit more, um, you know, uh, complimentary to what Odell wants to do, being able to deal with some of the freelance stuff that makes Beckham who he is, whereas Mayfield was just not necessarily that guy. Yeah, Stafford's far more of a feel-based quarterback in terms of, you know, different arm angles, mm -hmm. different platforms, whereas Baker Mayfield is a, you know, yeah. one speed, that ball goes to where it's supposed to go kind of QB. Let's talk a little bit about the Bengals defense, because I feel like that everybody's spending all their time talking about the Rams defense, their pass rush, and justifiably so. They've got three Hall of Famers on that defense, and so we're going to spend a lot of time there. The Bengals, on the other hand, are almost the complete opposite. Let's start with the secondary. Almost every single one of these guys, you could make the argument that they weren't anybody's first choice. And you'll say, well, what about Jesse Bates? Well, Jesse Bates was up for a contract this year and he didn't get it. And Jesse Bates did not play well during the regular season. He was phenomenal last year. He's been phenomenal during the course of the playoffs. During the regular season, whether it was the contract or whatever, it was not his best year. Von Bell, the other safety, who's been playing great, basically kicked out of New Orleans. He couldn't cover well enough. Well, he got the game leading to the game-winning play for uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs with a tip ball from Bates. Mike Kilton didn't get the contract he thought he deserved with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Eli Apple didn't want him in New York, didn't want him in New Orleans, wasn't that kind of guy. Chittabe Awuje, high expectations in Dallas, didn't work out. Even Trey Flowers now, who has been a guy that has been pretty instrumental co covering some tight ends during the course of these playoffs, with Seattle, eh, we, we don't need you anymore. So this is a makeshift secondary that has sort of come together in some strange way to make game-changing interceptions at the end of all three playoff games. Of course, uh, one was uh, Jermaine Pratt who did it at the end of the Raiders game. But it has been surprising almost to see what these guys have been able to put together. Yeah, it's like a PFF secondary i was just gonna say you know, like it's exactly what we've been preaching right yeah. like when you look at you chris you'd be surprised to know who the highest bengals cap hit is next year it's trey Jeff waynes Wayne. trey waynes was the big money free agent that yeah. they wanted right but you look at they got you know trey waynes eli apple chidobe awuzie ricardo allen trey flowers vernon hargreaves all have 1000 snaps with another nfl team in a season right they're basically saying look we don't have any pride here 
we're going to find the best five guys, right? And sometimes that's going to include Flowers. Sometimes Trey Waynes is a special teamer now because he got beat out by two other guys. Sometimes it's Eli Apple. And it's not – and the secondary, we talk about receivers depending upon the secondary and third guy you know, more than anything. The secondary is it's, – it's all as good as your weakest link, right? Jesse Bates was amazing for two, three years, and the Bengals secondary was terrible because they, you know, a quarterback can choose where to go after. In this secondary – it's not that any guy is brilliant, but it's like the choice of who's the bad player in the secondary is not trivial anymore. It's actually yeah. difficult to find a guy who's a who's a mark on that defense. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say is that they've built an entire defense to limit any holes. Yeah. Like they, they may not have like they obviously don't have Aaron Donald. They don't have Jalen Ramsey. They don't have guys that change your approach, but they also don't have a guy that you say, I'm going to go there. Yep. I, I'm going to exploit this. They have across the board competency and go above and beyond it at some guy at some positions but just they don't have any weak links the weakest link is a former top 10 pick who can still cover but just struggles at the catch point with kind of his biggest thing an mo throughout his career so there's a lot of talent on this defense and that's kind of been the underrated thing in this run is like they've held every team they face six points below their season totals and one of those games going to overtime so uh, their season points per game total. So th they have done their job wholesale to get them there. And, they, and they've had health, and that helps, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, they lost uh, – was it – they lost Reader – or no, it was uh, – they lost Ogunjobi yeah. uh, in one of the playoff games. But for the most part – but at the same time, like, there's not a player on that team maybe other than Hendrickson who, if they lost him, they'd be in deep trouble. Whereas what you were saying about the Rams is, you know, we even saw it in the playoffs last year against the Packers. If Donald has Dallas, to sit out half yeah. a game, that defense is nowhere close to any, as good as it normally is. Whereas I think the Bengals are more impervious to a lot of the stuff that happens to teams. And, and this is going to be increasingly important, right? The, the, the season is 17 weeks long now. Almost every team has to play three playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. And if you build a defense like this, oftentimes you'll be able to be the last one standing when a lot of other teams succumb to all the other stuff we saw in Buffalo and Kansas City and Green Bay and and teams that were better, you know, in the regular season than they were. The Bengals were sort of built more uh, resilient yeah. uh, to any of these things. And the Bengals' pass rush is a little underrated. As I was going through all the different games, obviously Trey Hendrickson with the huge year of 14 sacks uh, coming over from the Saints. Sam Hubbard made great plays against the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe some of the game-changing plays in that game but i'm not so sure that the guy inside and dj reader isn't going to be the one that has to come up the biggest in this game uh he can be so dynamic we saw it against tennessee in his ability to get push beyond the guard and get up the field and disrupt those inside and outside zone plays that the rams are going to try and run uh, but he also adds a little pass rush element they can get a little push inside with Hubbard and with Hendrickson on the outside and the occasional blitz from Mike Hilton uh, as well. I, I, I just, something in my mind says, if DJ Reader has one of those games, this could be that upset. Uh, I think, I think, I think the Bengals defense is an underrated part of this whole, of this whole thing. Now, you know, they did have a first half against the Chiefs where they gave up all but one yard that was available to Kansas City, um, but they but they also you know dared the Chiefs to like I think this is another thing like for a quarterback who is turnover prone right as mistake prone the Bengals approach fits in nicely which is to say 
you have to cross the street 10 times to get to the end zone here. Like, mm-hmm. good luck. You know, and you're, you're going to get beat sometimes. But I think that their approach is actually – and they, they're a ball-hawking defense. And to your point, Chris, like I think the front four doesn't get as enough credit. And I think the Rams, when you look at Whitworth coming off a little bit of an injury, Nopum possibly not playing as his backup, there are some holes in that offensive line that have been uh, – it's mostly been a good offensive line this year, but there could be some leaky you know, situations there for the Rams. Yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what their approach is because they had a unique approach against KC. In terms of, you know, everyone said these two high defenses, that's how you beat KC. That was, the no, that was the sort of book on them. And then all of a sudden they come out and they play drop eight man coverage the whole second half and shut them down with that. Basically say, hey, Patrick Mahomes, we think our pass rush is going to get there before you decide to let it rip because we're going to limit every single thing you do down the football field. We're going to put a cap on this and make you check down. 40 times to go the length it was, of the field. It was a remarkable gamble. Like yeah. They basically made a gamble in that second half of the Chiefs game that said, we don't think you can go 70 yards once. Because yeah. that was all the Chiefs had to do in the second half of that game was go 70 yards once. And that game was over the way that it was sort of playing out. And the Bengals' defense, like it was a remarkably ballsy gamble for them to take. Yeah. It's amazing when you look back at that Kansas City game. And, and it's it sort of makes me wonder what uh, Lou Anarumo is going to do in this one. You know, did, did he discover something in that game that actually works for this thing? Because when you go back and you look at the coverages, this is a cover three, cover one team. They have been all season. That's well over 50%. Throw in another 15% for cover two. They play quarters 9%, cover six, 8%, cover zero, 4%. Okay. And, and that was really the way it went. Cover three, top of the list. Cover one, top of the list. Those two almost all season long. Then you get down to the Chiefs playoff game. They played cover three 6% of the time. 6%. So imagine taking your what worked for you the entire season. This would be like the Raiders doing this, right? Like the Raiders come out and go, you know what, Every, this has been working against the Chiefs. We're going to bag everything that got us to the championship game. We're going to do this. But that's what Lou did. And when you think about the significance of cover six, 25%, quarters and cover one, 22%. So the great majority of that game was played in a defense. It really wasn't what they were all about for the course of the season. And now you go into the Super Bowl and you go, not sure what these guys are going to do out here. What did they did they find something that really works for this defense and may carry over here? I, I think that was the plan, though, or Lou Anaruma's plan in terms of free agency last offseason when you swapped out William Jackson for Cheeto Bayouzie, saying William Jackson, great man player. We need a guy who's more versatile. We need a guy in Mike Hilton in the slot who can not only play slot and zone coverage at a high level, but that guy can also man up with slot receivers at a high level to say that we need to have a defense that has more flexibility than the players that we have had in the building have been in the past. And I think you're seeing kind of the results of that, that they're not, you know, don't pigeonhole them into one sort of scheme. Like you said, cover, they play a lot of cover three because everyone does, but I think they're capable of doing whatever you want. And that's what makes them dangerous. Yeah. One hypothesis that I have is like, you know, man coverage is one of the reasons for the streakiness of our defensive grades right like when yeah. you look at our corner grades and stuff like a guy like William Jackson can be a 
0.7 wins above replacement one one year and minus you know a replacement player the next just because matchups and and health right health is another thing for corners like you have to be as healthy as possible to be a good man coverage yeah. corner and I, I i think that like and this is why we would see teams like the ravens play great defense for 17 weeks and get filleted by the chiefs because they just man coverage exacerbates whatever difference there is between you and your opponent right so if you're a great man coverage if your team has terrible receivers against you, your man coverage is going to squash them even further. Yeah. But if you have a, if you're getting mismatched, they're going to, you know, just absolutely, you know, fillet you. Whereas with zone, it just muddies the water so much more, and it allows you to overcome a talent differential that that you might not have. So it was, it was very interesting, and being able to change that up week to week and play to play, I think also sort of muddies the water, and that's what you want to do defensively. You want. You know, you want the game to be less predictable on that side of the ball. I don't want to hold you guys up forever. I could talk to you guys as long as you had here for this Super Bowl. But let's let's finish up here with the two quarterbacks. Um, Joe Burrow, first of all, I, I you know, maybe you have to go back to the days of Pete Rose that a hometown guy or at least a home state guy is as popular as he is here in Cincinnati. Uh, has a little bit of Pete's swagger to him as well, um, but a, a really a fundamental belief that and he played high school ball in Ohio. He went to Ohio State, couldn't get on the field. So he, all he does is go to LSU and win a Heisman Trophy and a national championship and then come back as the number one overall pick to the Cincinnati Bengals and in year two is one win away uh, after a major knee injury from winning a Super Bowl as well. How good is this guy? I mean, because if the Cincinnati Bengals win this game, let's just think about this for a minute. If the Cincinnati Bengals win this game, they are the Kansas City Chiefs. They are the most exciting team in football with the playmakers, with the quarterback. Or do you guys see that another way? Uh, and the cap space next year? Like, this is the thing about when you hit on a young quarterback – and when you hit on one who's an elevator, right? So we wrote, there's an article on pff.com today. Uh, go ahead and get a subscription and, and read it where we look at, it's not so much how much you pay your quarterback. It's how much you pay your offense and how much that quarterback can take one plus one and make it more than two, right? And, and the Rams do a great job of this. The Bengals are the fifth most efficient team in taking dollars and making wins above replacement on the offense. And that's with an offensive line as bad as theirs is, right? That when you start 2-14 two two years ago, it's going to take more than two years to build a perfect roster, right? There's tons of holes on this roster, offensive line being the yeah. main one. And yet Joe Burrow is able to overcome that, right? And to me, I think that's the mark of what is like – and granted, he hasn't played as good – in the playoffs as he's played in the regular season like statistically and I don't think he's played as well as Stafford has in the playoffs but you know when you can overcome deficiencies on your roster to me that's the mark of a franchise quarterback and I think Burrow has that yeah it's kind of something that Stafford never did with Detroit you know he it was kind of his MO or not his MO just the, the narrative around him was that he was in a bad situation, never elevated above it. I mean, made the playoffs a couple times, but never really got it and, and always had the talent, but just wasn't quite that guy. And now, obviously, you can still very much win a Super Bowl with a guy who's not a, you know, elite top five quarterback, whatever, in the NFL. And that's why they're the favorite. He's still very, very good. But I think Joe Burrow is definitely 
a different dude. Like what we've seen from him this postseason and obviously during the regular season is something that, I mean, we, we haven't seen for, since Mahomes. We, you know, we haven't seen really just a guy come out and be that caliber since Mahomes. And, and the Bengals have a chance to be like – the Bengals have a chance to do more than what the Chiefs did, yeah. right? Because the division, I think, is a little bit weaker. I also think they have $58 million of cap space, and that's without making any moves, mm-hmm. right? They, you know, it's been a they've, – they've mostly, you know, hit on a lot of these. Where with the Chiefs, you had Frank Clark. You had, you had a lot of missteps, like, at, in the draft and in, and, and in free agency and stuff. This team, like, they could really pressure the rest of the AFC with the moves that they make over the next few, you know, over the next few seasons, yeah. and they're in a really good spot. They are, and in my estimation, they've got the best receiver that's ever played for the Cincinnati Bengals, and we've had good ones here. I mean, Isaac Curtis was, he beat the two guys that were represented the U.S. in the 100 meters in a 100-yard uh, or 100-meter sprint one time. So he was phenomenal. He changed the game of football. Chad Ochocinco, Carl Pickens, you go down the list. There, there were good players here. But I really do think in one year that Jamar Chase is the best that there ever has been here. He's done things that have been completely, completely off the charts. And let's flip it over now to Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford was 0 for 3 in playoff games before he goes to the Rams. Comes out there, and now he's three for three uh, with the Rams. This is a good team. When I was preparing for the Tampa Bay playoff game, I I can remember going, if Tom Brady had Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown uh, and Kristen Kristen Wirfs on the outside, I still think they're the best team in football. But with what they've got right now, I think the Rams are the most talented team in football. Uh, and they went out and they proved it that day, although it ended up being very close at the end of it. But Matthew Stafford, let's forget about his play on the field for just a minute. The pressure that that guy had to face this playoff season, coming to the Rams, and there was only one acceptable outcome with that trade, only one. And that is you go win a Super Bowl and you do it in your home stadium so we can sell out all these season tickets and boxes and, and the whole thing. And he's just one game away from doing that exactly. And he has had to make some real pressure throws in clutch moments uh, to come back after Tampa erased that huge lead that they had, 27 to three. And then all of a sudden you're tied and go down and kick the game-winning field goal with two throws to Cooper Cup. That's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's like, so everyone talks about the pressure of the quarterback drafted number one overall and Stafford was drafted number one overall going but then he also had the added pressure of now getting traded for two first round picks you didn't just go number one overall now you're also traded for two first round picks and basically the how the Rams set up this season this is it for them you know second rounder and a fourth rounder for Von Miller like there's no improving this roster should this roster not win yeah Uh, they are next year going to be worse year after that going to be worse they just cannot maintain this and don't have the draft capital to build on this. So this is the team that uh, if they're going to win, it has to be this year or next year. Like they, they are not, again, like I said, not going to improve in any meaningful way, most likely. So that is a lot of pressure. But I, I do think the biggest thing going back to that trade for Jared Goff was it was always an upgrade. Everyone knew it was an upgrade. Like, but is it enough? Is it going to be enough 
is it an incremental change enough to take you to where you need to be? And I think he has proven, yes, it, it definitely is enough. But, but you know Obviously, what's interesting about it? Process. Would it have been enough if you don't make the Von Miller deal or you don't luck into Odell Beckham Jr.? Would it have been enough? That's the, I mean, we'll never know. Yeah, I mean, this Rams team, to your point, Chris, they're second in the NFL in wins above replacement generated this year, only to Tampa Bay. And by the time they played each other in the playoffs, Tampa Bay had lost a great deal of those wins above replacement to injured, injured reserve. And, you know, they have the most valuable corner in the NFL, the most valuable uh, defensive player in the NFL, and the most valuable wide receiver in the NFL, and the fifth most valuable quarterback, which is Matthew Stafford, who has never played. This is the best year he's had. If you look at his war graph, this is the top. And, um, you know, so they, they, it really was, they took a, they took a gamble and I'm somebody who was very skeptical of whether this could work. Right. You, and to their credit, I think they identified a season where there weren't that many good teams in the NFL and they took, they went all in on a, on a season like that. And, you know, as Mike said, like, you know, the NFC might not be as strong moving forward, but like, you're not going to catch, you know, you're not going to catch as much, I, I think, luck as you did this year injury wise but also just everybody on their team played well everybody on their team they needed to play well played well but I, I will say going back to Chris's question I think the simple fact that they did trade for Von Miller that they did trade for Odo Beckham deserves we deserve to give Les need some credit for that because they weren't the only team that was all in on this year in terms of like not being able to get better in the future like the Packers and their cap situation they pushed a lot of money forward in future years to go all in for this year. The Bucks, obviously, with what they did, trying to run it back, pushed a lot of money forward, trying to go all in this year. Those guys didn't actually put it all on the table in going out and getting Von Miller, going out and signing Odell Beckham. He could have been, those guys could have been had to the highest bidder. All could have fit yeah. under for those teams. No one made the play that Leslie did. Now Leslie's last man standing. Yeah, and that, that's why I, Chris, what do you think? Like, this is a, uh, a thought I've had all week because on one hand, to Mike's point, if the Rams don't win the Super Bowl this year, they're probably going to struggle for a couple more years. Although the NFC looks weak at I the quarterback I would struggle, position. but like, yeah, they're, it's, it's not going to get any yeah, easier exactly. for them. Exactly. So like, this is the Super Bowl for them to win their favorites in this game. They would not have been favorites at Kansas City beat Cincinnati, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, we've all seen this back when you were playing like Dan Marino got to the Super Bowl second year. And then never got back, right? Yeah. Like Patrick Mahomes has never won another Super. Like everybody, he was inevitable, and he hasn't won since the San Francisco one. I, I, I struck like this game mean which game? Which team does this game mean more to? Like, I, it's a very interesting question. Well, from my standpoint, it definitely means more to the Rams. I, I, I don't think there's any question, and I think the pressure is on the Rams. That the Cincinnati Bengals, if they lose the game, the story is going to be. Hey, it was a young team. They're a year away. They're going to fix their offensive line, but they've got everything going in the right direction. We get it. You know, we're surprised they got this far, but what a season. What a great year. They've got a great quarterback, blah, blah, blah. That's going to be the story. If the Rams lose this game, it is quite the opposite story. There is only one acceptable outcome in this one for them. And so I think a little bit much like we saw with Kansas City, when that game came back to them, they make the mistake before they have. They don't score on the first drive when they get possession. All of a sudden it's 21-13. You could feel it. Now it's 21-21. You could really feel it that 
they were going to blow it. You know, they, it was like the Rams mm-hmm. against Tampa kind of a feeling. And so yeah. now, here they are in their home stadium. There are no excuses. There is no reason. You don't have to play Kansas City. You're, you know, there's nothing there to hang your hat on. If the Cincinnati Bengals come in and beat the Rams in this game, it'll be a bit of a disaster for the Rams. I, I think Chris is making the case that the Bengals are going to win because that's how the NFL plays out, right? Like it's almost like the the thing that has to happen never does. And and um, I agree with you. I think like there's the the huge psychological, you know, they call it the endowment effect. I, I feel like this game has been endowed onto the Rams, and you know, it, and and a game costs less, right? So your psychological, you know, uh, framing of a game losing a game costs more to you than taking it from somebody else and I think again the Bengals are in this sort of nothing to lose situation I just worry because again with all these great young quarterbacks when they lose a Super Bowl we're always like oh they'll be back mm-hmm. and and it's never that easy, easy right yeah. like you know and Brady comes in and rips away seven Super Bowls from everybody else and it's a lot harder than people believe or Montana back when it was when it was uh uh, Marino, but like, but yeah, I do agree that this game is is immense for the Rams. I mean, in their legacy. I will say though, from like a fan base perspective, it means a little bit more to the Bengals. Like right. having gone from Cincinnati and the atmosphere there, and seeing the pep rally yesterday on Monday, and then coming here, there was a guy behind me in line that said he didn't want the Rams to win because he didn't want the city to shut down for a parade. So that's that's the that's <laughs> yeah. the sort of pulse of LA and the fans here for the Rams. Yeah, and there's all. I'd like to see something else too, right? I mean, the Academy Awards are coming up, the Grammys are coming up, the Lakers. There's always something else in LA. In Cincinnati, it is paint the town orange time right now, and they are all in. You should have seen the the celebration they had at the stadium last night. Pretty amazing stuff. Anyway, you guys want to take a shot? I tell you what, you guys hold your picks for your own shows later on in the week. I, I don't want you to go too early before any of this happens but you'll be broadcasting every day out there every day yes sir every day there you go have a great time i'll see you in a about uh eight hours out there on the west coast and uh it's going to be amazing city this is a this tremendous stadium it's the perfect venue when you guys walk in this place you're going to think you're walking into caesar's palace in las vegas or something it has a casino (laughs) feel to it it really does so enjoy all week, and uh, we'll catch you guys out there. See you, Thanks, Chris. Chris.